But anyway, again, like I said, happy Father's Day. You know, the world is accustomed to celebrating moms. Just ask retail how much more is spent on Mother's Day than is spent on Father's Day. And as a pastor, I have to tell you that Mother's Day is easier to preach. A lot of times, all I need to do is take a passage from Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, and then tell the truth. Because 99% of the time, our moms are saints. Now, that percentage would be higher if it wasn't for my sister. But still, 99% of the time, that's a pretty good percentage. But you see, Father's Day, it's not so easy because, let's be honest, I mean, we men, <laughs> we can be scoundrels sometimes. Even in the Bible, look at King David, the Apostle Peter, Saul of Tarsus. They certainly had their scoundrel moments. Now, they came around, but they had their times. And so today, I, I hope that, that I can share a thought-provoking message about about the difficulties that uh, that we men face, and I, you know, I can just I can just see it in my mind's eye. There are some ladies here rolling their eyes. Difficult times. They don't know what difficult is. They go to work. They go hang out with their buddies. I'm stuck here with these kids. I've got to clean the house up, and they're out just enjoying themselves. And if they want to know what real pain is, let them grab their bottom lip, pull it up over the top of their head, and they might have an idea of what childbirth is sort of like. Ladies, you had your day in May, so just give us a little slack for our day in June. Begin with turning your Bibles, or it's going to be on the screen here in just a minute. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 familiar scripture probably most of you know this romans 3 23 for all a double l even the most holy the most pious even those people who don't wear makeup or jewelry and they don't chew gum or use breath mints the bible told on them for all the preachers, all the elders, even, even all the popes, the Bible told on them, for all have sinned. Look at someone and say, he's talking about you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now for those who looked at your neighbor and said he's talking about you, let me say to you, I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, so say, say Kyle. He's our youth pastor. Great guy, doing a great job. So say Kyle and I were stuck in the desert. I don't know how we got there, but we're stuck in the desert. And we're 40 miles away from the closest town. And say, hey, just hang on, buddy. You don't know yet. And so say that, that I could walk 30 miles, but Kyle could only walk 15 miles in the hot desert sun. And so to start out, we were walking along, having a good time, everything was going great. But 15 miles down the road, Kyle collapses and dies. Now, you may, you may think that that's unusual because, you know, obviously he's younger, you think he's in be better shape. But since this is my story, you can be sure I'm going to come out on top. 
So 15 miles, he's gone. But see, I'm still trucking. I'm still going. And so for 15 miles, I could talk about him. For 15 miles, I could say he couldn't make it because he's weak. He couldn't make it because he's a sissy. I made it because I am a zaddy and I am cool. But after 30 miles, I reach my limit and I collapse. And so here's my point. Even though I could walk 30 miles and Kyle could only walk 15 miles, we both fell short. Neither one of us made it. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fell short. A little bit short, a whole lot short, but all of us fall short of the glory of God. And so don't look at other people's issues and weaknesses and say, at least I'm not like him. Don't judge someone when they fall after just 15 miles because you need to understand, friend, that you still have a ways to go. And whether you're 25 miles away from town or 10 miles away from town, you are still dead if someone doesn't come along and save you. See, because, because when it comes to being a man... When it comes to being a father, let me tell you something. It's not a joke. It, it's not easy. Now, I know, I know, ladies, you read about us in your magazines telling you nine things a man needs, five things a man wants from his woman. But most of the time, these articles are written by a woman, and she really doesn't know what she's talking about. No offense. No offense. But until she's walked in my shoes, she can't tell me what I'm feeling in my heart. And so what that means is you should have put that $5 in the offering that you spent on that magazine because it's wasted money. Because the truth of the matter is, it is difficult to be a man. Especially in these days that we live. And one of the reasons is we're filled with this juice called testosterone. And it makes us competitive. It makes us feel driven. It makes us aggressive at times. And any time we don't feel like we're winning, it's difficult for us to continue doing what we don't feel like we do well. And so for all of the better haves out there, none of you, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about other ladies, none of you would ever do this. So for all the other better halves out there that are trying to change him by telling him what he doesn't do well, the more you tell him his shortcomings, the less he feels like coming home. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't love the kids. It's because men are not drawn to criticism. We're drawn to praise. We perform the best when you tell us what we do well. If you brag on us, we'll do better. If we walk in with two bags of groceries and you talk about how strong we are, we'll grab the third bag, no problem, like this guy right here. He started out with two bags. His wife started bragging on him. And he said, baby, this ain't nothing. I can carry these bags with my little finger. 
But see, here's the thing. We were created in the likeness and image of God. And just as God desires our praise, when you praise your man, we become bigger, we become stronger, and we become better. But the truth is, there's not a man in this room who doesn't have certain things in his life that he would like to shy away from because he feels like he just doesn't do them well. And you see, I believe it's because society, our culture has put us in a dilemma. Our society keeps changing the game on what a good man is. It's confusing. Every few years they come up with a new mandate as to what a good man is supposed to be. It used to be that if you were a good provider, you were a good man. You took care of your family, you paid the bills, you mowed the lawn, you were a good man. It didn't matter that daddy didn't talk. How you feeling, daddy? You might get a grunt, or it could have just been gas. But it didn't matter, because daddy was a good man. And if you said anything about him, your mama would slap you, and she'd say, don't say anything about him, he's a good man. He provides for us. Back then, women didn't let kids disrespect their husbands. But you see, today you can't just be a good provider. Because now you've got to be in touch with your feelings. You've got to be willing to express your emotions. And so you can't just be a good provider. Now, now you've got to be able to cry. You've got to be able to cry. But if you cry too much, then you're too soft. But if you don't cry at all, then you're too hard. And then it's also confusing because how can I be a good man to a woman who enjoys being a good man? I'm not talking about that. Lord have mercy. You guys have been watching too much entertainment tonight or something. See, I was raised to open the door for you. I was raised to, to call and check on you to make sure you're okay. But you do that today, and, and, and what you get back is, what are you calling me for? Are you checking up on me? Hey, I can open the door for myself. And see, when you pride yourself on doing what I used to do, have you not worked me out of a job? And so has, has society, has our culture set us up to fail? You see, because we don't know whether to buy the dishes or wash the dishes. Because our role has changed. Our role has changed so much that even feminists will say that all we're needed for is our seed. Are we needed? When was the last time you told your man why you needed him? See, if all you do is communicate where I fall short... Well, don't expect me to excel because I don't flourish in criticism. I flourish in praise. And see, I flourish in the same thing that you have no problem giving to your sons. 
Because believe it or not, every father in here is someone's little boy. Now, I know we mess up. Boy, do I know we mess up. I was in the doghouse yesterday, matter of fact. We mess up. But you see, it's hard to be a good man to a woman who has an unrealistic expectation of what a good man is. See, it'd be better if, if she would have imagined a flawed man, a broken man, a man who gets tired, a man who gets scared sometimes, a man who's worried, but yet is still in the fight. See, it would have been so much easier if she had not imagined Superman for a husband. If she would have imagined Clark Kent, it would have been more achievement. Now, like every man in here, we have our Superman moments. But we also have our kryptonite. And men, we fall short. And so this morning, I want to look at a man who fell short. And we find him in the book of Genesis. His name is Jacob. Now, Jacob, Jacob came from good stock. But the problem is he's a do-wrong guy in a do-right family. He comes from a long line of faith men. Abraham was his grandfather. Isaac was his daddy. And then here comes Jacob. Now, Jacob was a scoundrel. He was sly. He was slippery. His name should have been Slick Willie because Jacob was a trickster and a con man. But what's interesting is he didn't get there by himself. As my grandma used to say, his mama stood too close to the fried chicken because she's a little greasy too. But see, we don't, we don't make a living talking about slick women. Remember my sister. But, but don't poor Terry nothing. She does, Terry doesn't deserve your sympathy. Trust me. But if you're a Bible scholar, you know that this boy Jacob didn't get slippery all by himself. So whether it was nurture or nature, the profile of Jacob said you don't fit in with the rest of the family. You don't have faith like your grandpa Abraham. You don't have the tenacity like your father Isaac. You are a trickster. You are a con man. Because Slick Willie was a scammer. He was a scoundrel. But what's amazing is that God does call scoundrels. God does call slimy people. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but God calls people who are broken. How do you explain how a holy God snatches a slick willy and says, you are in my plan, son. I have a purpose for your life. I know you've been on drugs. I know you've been an alcoholic. I know you are an abuser and a cheat, but I've got a plan for your life, and I'm going to snatch you out of your background, and I'm going to set you into your destiny. That's a guy that we're talking about today. His name is Jacob. And you, you, you go to Genesis chapter 32, and Jacob didn't even know his real name. He knew what they called him. He knew what life had made him. But then he has an encounter with God on Peniel. 
And God gives him a new name and says, you are not a slick willy any longer. And then Jacob enters into the twilight zone of living between two names. Jacob, which meant supplanter. And Israel, which means triumphant with God. But what's so interesting is that even yet, when the Bible refers to him, it vacillates back and forth between Jacob and Israel. Letting me know that he never quite killed either one. Genesis chapter 48 tells us that even when Jacob was an old man and dying, that Jacob and Israel were both in the bed together. Verse 2 says, and Jacob was told, look, Joseph, your son is coming to see you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. He never mastered one over the other. And you'd be shocked at how many men in this room are living in the twilight zone between their Jacob and their Israel. Now, the church wants to tell you that if you pray hard enough, if you fast long enough, if you talk in tongues and spin around and holler Jesus, that you'll kill your Jacob. But the Apostle Paul said we have to crucify our flesh. And daily we have to pick up our cross. And so there's both still in there, Jacob and Israel. And sometimes Jacob and Israel gets into a fight living in the same body because sometimes Jacob wants to quit, but Israel wants to stay. Sometimes Israel wants to live holy, but Jacob wants to party. Sometimes Israel even wants to read his Bible while Jacob wants to watch porn. I didn't expect a lot of amens there. But both live in a man's body. And you say, what? What are you talking about? You're supposed to be a Christian. Well, all I can say is Jacob had an encounter with God at Bethel, and he left the church service as Israel. But Israel still has to live with Jacob, and he still has problems. Now, Jacob has this wife, has a wife named Rachel. And we find in Genesis chapter 35 that, that Rachel is pregnant and Jacob is trying to get her to Ephrath. Now let me give you a little background. Rachel is the love of Jacob's life. It's a romantic, harlequin, novel-type love that when he first saw her, he said, whatever I have to do to get her, I am willing to do it. So Jacob went to work for seven years to get her. And he wakes up after the wedding feast, but there lays her sister Leah. Jacob's father-in-law was kind of slimy too. Leah, cross-eyed, knobby-kneed, snaggletooth Leah. Leah is the kind of woman that when her and Jacob went to Walmart, the other, men, other women would look at her and say, hey, if she got a man, there's hope for me. Well, Jacob finally gets Rachel. It costs him another seven years. But the Bible says that Rachel is smoking hot. Read it. Smoking hot. 
But even though Rachel is finer than frog hair, she has a problem. You see, because Rachel can't have kids. So Jacob goes to the ugly wife and has babies, and he goes to the pretty wife and has fun. Friend, it doesn't matter how fine you are, you're still going to have problems in this life. And with all of her beauty, Rachel still has pain. So she prays for God to open up her womb, and miracle of miracles, God answers her prayers. First, he, she gives birth to Joseph. Remember the guy with the coat of many colors? Rachel's his mama. And now in Genesis chapter 35, she's pregnant and on the way to Ephrath. But this time, the pregnancy is rough. And Jacob is on a difficult journey. He's trying his best to get Rachel to Ephrath. And there's not a good man in this room who's not trying to get those he loves somewhere. He's trying to get them there over rough roads, through problems, around detours, with substandard equipment sometimes, poor education sometimes, little opportunity sometimes. And then sometimes you didn't have a father figure yourself to give you a guide, but you're still trying to get those you love over the road. Now, in order to get the family over the road, Jacob has to drive the donkeys. But you see, his wife Rachel is back in the wagon. They're in the same vehicle, but they have two different places. They're going through the same thing, but from two different positions. And his order and his dilemma is in order to have progress, in order to move forward, I've got to be up here driving the donkeys. But behind me, I hear the wailing of the love of my life. And so, so the dilemma of the man up front is that if I strive to have progress, well, I do it by not being present. And, and if I'm present with you, then I have to leave the animals and then I give up our forward movement. And Jacob says, Rachel, if I'm in the wagon, we're not moving forward. But, if I'm, with, but I'm, if I'm with the donkeys and we're moving forward, then you tell me I'm not there for you. See, the problem with being a father is that you can't drive the donkeys and hang out in the wagon. If I hang out in the wagon, the donkeys stop. But if I drive the donkeys, then your respect for me stops, and you say you're not there when you need me. See, it's hard to be a man. Because, because I'm afraid that if I don't get us there soon, if I don't get us to Ephrath by the time I'm 35, if I don't get us to Ephrath by the time I'm 45, I'm getting older. And if I don't get us to Ephrath by the time I'm 50, I'm afraid that we're not going to make it. Because you see, success in a, in a man's mind has a time limit on it. It has a shelf life. There's an emergency going on. I hear your pain in the back, but I'm driving the animals as hard as I can. I'm fixing my own car to save money. I'm wearing the same clothes to save money. I'm working like a dog because I'm trying to get us there. I'm trying, baby. I'm trying to get us to where we want to be. Well, meanwhile, in the back of the wagon, verse 16 tells us that Rachel was having hard labor. 
And the Bible says that they were but a little distance from Ephrath. They were almost there. Almost got the house. Almost got the degree. Almost out of debt. There are many men in here who are almost there. See, because if Jacob can just get her to Ephrath, it'll be okay. And then she'll understand why I wasn't in the wagon when we get the house paid off. She'll see what I was trying to do. If I ride all night, if I work overtime, if I go in on Saturday, I'll still drop off the kids like you need me to. Then I'll go in and work a few more hours. I've got a plan. I've got it all figured out. But they were yet a little distance from Ephrath. And Jacob was guilty with the struggle that every man in this room who's a father has had. Do I move us forward? Is that the best use of me? Or do I stay with the family? See, every time, every time I stop to be with the family, I stop the forward movement. And every time I start to move, I'm not here for the family. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm just curious. If you're a man in this room who's ever felt like you've kind of been caught in the middle, would you raise your hand? Yeah, there's, there's, there's some honest people and some liars. I'm not Glamour Magazine, I'm not Women's Today, but if you want to know what's worrying him when you ask him what he's thinking about and he says nothing, you should have looked around. Because I told you what he's thinking about. He's thinking about how can I drive the team and be in the wagon? How can I support what you're trying to do, but yet fund what you're trying to do? See, because there are some men who are very present, but they're broke. He's around all the time. He shows up for everything, but he only has $5, and he got that from his mom. And so the missus is mad because he doesn't bring anything into the house. Well, on the other side of the coin, you've got the guy, he makes great money, but he's never home. And now you're mad because he misses the anniversary problem, he misses a recital, he misses the ball game, he misses the practices. And you have to understand that neither guy is happy. They feel torn. It's either the donkey braying or it's the family crying, and you're running back and forth between the donkeys and the wagon. So while Jacob was trying to get money for the taxes, for the insurance, for the school, something happens in the wagon. When they were a little distance from Ephrath, Rachel gave birth to a son. And verse 18 says, As her soul was departing, for she died, she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. See, they were almost there. They were almost there. But you know, I think almost is worse than far away. I think it would have been better to collapse like Kyle in the desert only after 15 miles than to almost get where I can see the city and then collapse. So Jacob goes back to the wagon and the midwife hands him his baby and, and she says, since you weren't here, 
As Rachel was dying, she named her son, son of my sorrow. Jacob says his name shall not be called Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. His name shall be Benjamin, the son of my strength. And you see, I've lived long enough on this earth that, that to realize that both names are true. Because every strength has sorrow also. Every Benjamin has some Ben-Oni, just like every Israel has some Jacob. Every man here has a man you see and a man you don't. The daddy was two people, Israel and Jacob. And so was his son, Ben-Oni and Benjamin. See, you can't have strength and not have sorrow. I think it's the sorrow that makes you strong. If it hadn't been painful, you wouldn't have nearly been as powerful. And behind every Benjamin is a Ben-Oni saying, you've got to stand up, you've got to keep going. You don't have a choice. And being a father means that sometimes you simply don't have a choice. You just have to do what you have to do. Jacob gets a shovel, and he buries the love of his life. Where? Just short of Ephrath. They were almost there. They were almost there. And I can, I can imagine Jacob thinking, I was trying, I did the best I could, I fought a good fight, even though, even though it might not, not look like it, because, well, because I fell short. See, whenever you fall short, people remember what you did wrong so much more than they ever remember what you did right. So Jacob buried Rachel at the place where he fell short. And here's the point of my message today. I wonder how many men have buried something where you fell short. It's not always a Rachel. Sometimes you can bury your fight. You get back on the wagon, but your fight doesn't. You get back on the wagon, but your hope doesn't. You get back on the wagon, but your joy doesn't. And no one knows, not even the donkeys, but only half a man started leading the team again because a part of him died surviving where he fell short. What's going on with men today? He's torn between the wagon and the donkey. And he lives with the losses of what he almost had. I almost had my degree. I almost opened my own business. I, I almost had that promotion. Almost. And see, the worst part of falling short is when you go to the place where you should get some comfort, but instead of comfort, you get criticism. We know better than anyone that we didn't get you there. It hurts falling short. But it really hurts being reminded that you fell short. So, sir, what have you buried in your almost place? 
Maybe your courage. Perhaps your integrity. Maybe you buried your dream. Because you see, the fact is, every man in here has a shovel. And when life gets crazy, there's a temptation to bury what we can't fix. But you see, when we bury something, when we bury it where we fell short, we miss the miracle. Because it's just like when Jesus told Martha and Mary, show me where you laid your brother Lazarus. Jesus is saying today, take me to the spot where you gave up because I want to be your God where you fell short. I want to be your God that touches the area of your fear and pain. And if you have enough courage to take me to where you laid it down, I will give you a miracle where you now have a mess. So do you have the courage to take your Jesus, your Savior, to the place where you buried that thing that, well, that used to give you life? See, because you need to understand, Jesus can be Jesus in church all day long. But if Jesus doesn't become the Lord over that place where you dug the grave, well, then he's not Lord over all, is he? You know, the Bible doesn't often have bad endings. But when it does, there's always a reason. There's always a message in the mess. And so, you know, you wonder why Jacob got so close but yet fell short. But then if you flip through the pages through thousands of years of history, again, you'll hear hoofbeats. But this time, it wasn't Jacob leading the donkeys. It was a guy named Joseph, and he was leading a girl named Mary who was about to go into labor. And they were also on the road to Ephrath, which is now called Bethlehem. But where Jacob fell short, Joseph kept riding. And Joseph made it to Bethlehem so that the prophecy would be fulfilled out of Bethlehem. Jesus, the Messiah, would be born. The prophecy wasn't that a prince of Israel would come out of Bethlehem, but that the prince of peace and the king of kings and the Lord of lords would be born in Bethlehem. And where Jacob fell short, Jesus finished the journey. So, friend, don't get stuck where you fell short because King Jesus is going to make up the difference. For everything you don't have, for everything you didn't accomplish, for every time you failed, for every time you clapped, for every time you fell short, God has said he will make it up to you. And if you don't get it from your job, if you don't get it from your family, even if the dog chews up your slippers, God says it's okay because today can be your day of restoration. Everything you lost, everything you buried, everything that collapsed, God said, I am the finisher. And I will make it up to you. So many good men, good men, Live between the donkey and the wagon, feeling insufficient and never feeling like they're quite enough. But then, but then consequently, many of them just, just give out. The road's rough. There's no doubt. The wagon wheels break, the team breaks down, the animals get sick. And today, both guys are represented here. Jacob and Israel, weakness in leadership, 
and Benoni and Benjamin strengthened sorrow. But sir, you're not alone. You are not alone. You have great value. You have tremendous value. You just have to get up again. You just have to get up again. Maybe things didn't turn out the way you thought. Maybe you made some bad choices. Maybe you made some bad decisions. But you're still alive. You're still kicking. So don't go into depression. Don't go into fear. Don't go into defeat when you can move into victory. Don't give up at the place where you fell short. Because Jesus is saying, show me where you laid it down, and I will help you pick it up. And we will go on the journey together. The guy you should have been, the guy you were called to be, the guy you were created to be. I want you to know when you travel with Jesus, your latter days will be greater than your former days. Bow your heads with me, if you would. And obviously, I've been talking to mainly men this morning. Let me say to everyone here, men, women, teenagers, when you walk out of this door on this Father's Day, all of your responsibilities, all of your problems, all your fears, all your worries will be waiting on you. But I want you to know God makes miracles out of our messes. But you'll never find the miracle if you give up and die in the mess. Folks, don't give up. Don't give up because God wants to do something amazing in your life. He is the God of today. He is the God of tomorrow. And he is the God who can heal your yesterday. He has a plan for your life. And you are created with purpose. And you are created for success. And God will help you get to where he wants you to be. So today, so with today being Father's Day, I don't think we can do anything more than honor our Heavenly Father. And the best way that we can do that is, is to make sure that we, are, that we are His child. And perhaps you're here today and you have sin in your life. You know you're doing things that aren't pleasing to Him. Well, I want you to know God wants to make a miracle out of your mess. God wants to help you pick up those broken pieces in your life. And so if you're here today and you need the Lord to forgive you, you have sin in your life, you have things that aren't pleasing Him, would you raise your hand? God wants to do something. 